comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No Netflix, no iPads, no Instagram, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. semi-flooded Dr. Esquire Jordan from Jersey, and the reasonably dry Mr. Russell Asen to talk about this excellent, excellent episode of the show. How are you doing, guys? Hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. Yes, indeed. Episode 304, Killer Within, and boy, was it a doozy. But we'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, uh, as you can hear, Brad and John are not with us tonight. Brad is at a Primus concert, because that's something he does. And uh, John is still dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy, as his family stays with him because they still don't have power. And it's dropping to uh, dangerously cold temperatures tonight, or at least in terms of not having any heat. So, um, yeah, he, he couldn't join us, but we wish him the best, and we hope that... Uh, the rest of his extended family gets power very soon, as well as all the other listeners and, and fa- friends and family of listeners we may have who don't have power at the moment. Um, we hope that gets fixed very soon, because it sucks. I was without power myself for several days, and it's nice to be back to podcasting. Living in, in Texas, being used to hearing you know stories or dealing with it firsthand, um, it's, it's tough, man, hearing about all that stuff going on on the East Coast and people lining up for miles with gas or people just saying, look, I'm you know, not even going anywhere because they have no gas, no power. Um, you know, it's just, it's crazy. Um, you know, I hope that situation improves dramatically here in the next few days. Yeah, we have gas rationing right now. Um, today it was only cars with even number ending license plates. Uh, tomorrow will be only with odd. I guess it was odd number today, even number tomorrow. Um, if you have a vanity plate that counts as odd, etc. Um, so yeah, in- it's, a, indeed it's it does. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the bright side. You're doing better than T-Dog and Laurie. Yeah, that is true. But before we talk about T-Dog and Laurie and the rest of the cast, who wants to tell us about our sponsor? I will do so. Our sponsor for this episode of the Walking Dead TV podcast is Discount Comic Book Service. That's DCBService.com. You can find all of your comics, graphic novels, toys, trinkets, Walking Dead-related items um, at ridiculously low prices over at DCBService.com. Uh, some highlights for this month. Uh, as all as with every month recently, you can earn an extra five percent off your Comicsology orders if you use the DCBS portal to um, order your comics on D- on uh, on Comicsology. So you can go to DCBService.com and follow the link there. And uh, so if you're not into the whole print thing, you can you can earn your yourself five percent off of uh, future print orders. If not for yourself, maybe you know holidays are coming up, gift gifts for for folks. Um, they also have a sister site, InStockTrades.com. 
um, and you can uh, order comics and graphic novels again really uh, deep discounted prices there free shipping on anything over 50 bucks uh, great deals um, all around the Marvel now bundles are um, sale continues and you can get if you order the the whole bundle it's 50% off the bundle all new Marvel and DC trades and hardcovers uh, that you pre-order this month the November orders are out are 50% off um, so that's an incredible deal for all those cool uh, hardcovers and, and trades over at DCB Service. Uh, the, even though it's the beginning of November, if you still want to put your October order in, just shoot them an email and send it over. They'd be more than happy to take your late order. Um, you know, being that most of the stuff doesn't hit final order cutoff yet, there's, there's uh, still time to get it in. Uh, but the November orders are out. And a couple uh, Walking Dead-related items. This month, um, we have Walking Dead number 106. Uh, 40% off on that single issue. Don't pay $2.99. You can get it for $1.79. Um, and then there's just a bunch of uh, Walking Dead t-shirt related stuff. It's kind of a, a little bit of a gap between trades and hardcovers right now. I think we talked about uh, some of those last month. Um, but still, you can get the regular uh, monthly issue as well as a bunch of trinkets going on over there. And if you use the code WD8, you can save an extra 8% off your order through DCBService.com. We thank them for their support of the Walking Dead TV podcast. So before we talk about the actual episode, uh, last week we weren't able to talk about ratings. I don't think they were in yet, and we don't have ratings for this week's episode yet. But let me just give you an overview of the season so far. Uh, the season premiere for season three was a 5.8. That means out of all the televisions in the United States of America that were turned on at the time The Walking Dead was on, 5.8% were watching The Walking Dead. And that is 10.87 million viewers. Uh, episode two of the season was a 5.1, so a slight dip. And that was a 9.55 million viewers. And then last week's episode, episode three, uh, jumped back up. That was a 5.4 with 10.51 million viewers. So um, now that we've got Dish back, we, we've jumped up a little bit. And uh, I think, I don't know this for sure, but if the, the first episode of the season was a 10.87 million viewers and that was a, a record, I have a feeling that uh, last week's episode would have broken the same record it broke um, had it not already been broken. So that's uh, that's pretty awesome for him. Yeah, I'm curious to see... I think this ish, this episode is going to be highly talked about. I think maybe people that are lapsed and on the fence might come back to it. So I'd be curious to see um, what episode five does in the ratings. And I wish there was a way to measure like repeated viewings or, um, you know, even typically I think uh, AMC replays the previous week's episode the following week. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised even if they didn't, if they made a special case to do that for this previous episode, given what happens and given all the buzz about it. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see. I, I think overall those numbers are probably a little on the low side, um, given, you know, like I said, people people jumping on it after the fact. So I'm, I'm really curious about uh, about next week's numbers to see if uh, how this week's show might have impacted that. I think you might have hit the, hit the nail on the head there, Russ, too, when you say there are a lot of people who lapsed on the show in the second season uh, where the ratings had a slight dip, you know, comparatively, uh, that are coming back to it now. I know even anecdotally of a few people who have jumped back on in the third season just because of the word of mouth and the buzz that's been generated about how good it's been since, since the season premiere. Absolutely. Okay, so before we talk about this week's episode, we have a few emails and voicemails about last week's episode. So, uh, Russ, why don't you play us that first voicemail? Alrighty, we will uh, 
We'll do that. And this first mail uh, voicemail is from Brad and uh, or Brian from Illinois, and it, it looks, sounds like he's sticking up for Brad. So let's hear what he has to say. Hey, guys. It's uh, Brian from Illinois. I just wanted to leave a message about uh, the whole uh, thing last week with everybody, like, coming down on Brad pretty hard about the about the fights and then, you know, that, that whole, that whole thing. Um, I mean, let's, let's give Brad a break. I mean, I mean, he got us to think about it, you know, which I, I thought was really cool because like I sat back and I started to think, you know, you know, like, you know, who got bit and, and, and started thinking about the impression. So he made us think about it. So, uh, I mean, every, it sounded like everybody was coming down on him. I'm surprised Morgan himself didn't call in and be like, Hey, didn't you listen to me in the first season? So, but, uh, I, Brad, I, I give it up to you, man. You got us to all to think about it. So, but we, I think we got it cleared up and I think, I think you guys, uh, guys figured it out on the last show. But, uh, alright guys, have a great day. Bye. I, I thought Brian was talking about Ken Morgan for a second. I was very confused, but now it all makes sense. Thank you for the uh, voicemail, Brian. I'm sure Brad appreciates it. Absolutely. We all, we all love Brad, even though he goes off on tangents. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we love him so much, so. Even though he's a primus tonight, we're not. Uh, Jim, why don't you read us one of our emails? Great. We got an email from Paul. It said, hey, guys, discovered your podcast last year, midway through season two, and have been listening ever since. I love the break, episode breakdown that you guys provide. And after listening to episode 74, uh, Paul had some really cool uh, continuity ties. Unfortunately, I can't go into details of, it, of his email because I'm kind of it's kind of a spoil uh, full of spoilers for the rise of the governor novel but Paul I really get your uh, get what you're saying there and you, you really uh, raised some interesting points and uh, connected some dots there between the rise of the governor novel and uh, the governor that we're seeing on the television show so kudos to you sir and, uh, and he says to enjoy the podcast and keep it up so uh, thank you for that Paul we appreciate it uh, what's our next voicemail next one is from Meg in Poughkeepsie, this one's a little bit longer, so uh, so here where, we go. Where is Poughkeepsie? Uh, is it in New York or New it Jersey? Is. It is. No, it's definitely New York. New York. Okay, I, I know the Upstate. name. I just couldn't think of where it was. Uh, there's a Piscataway, New Jersey. I don't think that's what you're thinking of, though. Yeah, Poughkeepsie is in New York. It's all right. Here we go. Let's see what Meg has to say. Hi guys, it's Meg from Poughkeepsie calling. I really love your show. Um, I found it last season because um, I caught the zombie fever and I kind of was uh, searching around on iTunes and found your podcast. So thank you for, for making it. Um, my son and I, he's 14, we were both super disappointed, actually, with the first episode of Season 3. And from listening to your podcast, it sounds like we were the only two in the world who who really basically thought it was not good. Um, here's what I didn't like. Um, I didn't like Lori's uh, you know, holding her belly the whole time, her pregnant belly, in quotes. Um, I think the acting is has been really lousy. Um, I the whole Carl and Beth thing really creeped me out. Um, my son pointed out that there were no gun kickbacks. That you guys didn't mention that, but um, uh, and that uh, the sleeping. The sleeping walker in the hallway just that got that bit uh, Herschel. I just think do walkers actually sleep? I mean, I mean, really. So, um, but so fortunately, I listened to your show after uh, the the dismal uh, first episode. I listened to your show, and your show, everyone loved 
the first episode, and I talked my son into watching it, and we both realized, okay, what's happening is is it's even more like the comic book. So um, I really appreciate the good review that you you all gave, and it made me and my son say, let's give it another listen, um, another viewing, I mean. Um, and I just also want to say I wouldn't have even watched or read the comic book if it weren't for your show. So uh, both my, my son and I love The Walking Dead TV and comics, so it's fantastic that you uh, connected us up with that. Um, so just one more thing about your show. I like how you all are super knowledgeable and uh, you keep the discussion on course. Um, mostly about the TV show, which is great, and once in a while about the comics. But um, uh, I think that you guys um, really do a great job, and you keep the language clean, so even my 12-year-old and 14-year-old can listen, and I appreciate it. So see you in Twitter and on the podcast. Thanks a lot. Oh, well, thank you. We appreciate that. Some kind words from Meg. Thank you so much. Meg brought yeah, up a, a couple points I wanted to touch on. Uh, one, and, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I, I, if I understood it correctly, she was saying we liked uh, episode 301 more because it was more like the comic. Um, I, I can't speak for everyone. I don't know if I'd say for me that was necessarily true, but I, I, I can see where other people would probably agree with that quite a bit. Uh, wh- what did you guys think about that? Do you like the show more when it's more like the comic? I like it more when it deviates from the comic, honestly. I I think what she meant is the suspension of disbelief parts of it were kind of more like the comic. That's that's how I took her comment. Okay, that I can understand. Yeah, the quote-unquote sleeping walker and, you know, just uh, no recoil on the weapons and everybody. You know, we even talked about that, I think, last week or the week before about how everybody gets a headshot. You know, nobody seems to miss. Right, right. They are um, the best shots in the world. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I think a little of that is just suspension of disbelief. I mean, it's not just in the comics either. I mean, we see that with all kinds of TV shows out there where, you know, crazy stuff happens. I mean, you know, for those of us that, that grew up with MacGyver in the 80s uh, or the A-Team, it doesn't get much uh, much crazier than that as far as what people can do with a paper clip and a rubber band. So, um, so I, I definitely, I, I definitely get what she's getting, getting it there. But, um, you know, I, I, again, I really appreciate the kind words and I, I love that, uh, we've converted another one, boys. We've Woo. converted another one. Um, <laughs> well, I think, I think too, sometimes we, and I always try to be very careful of this. Um, I mean, since we have read the comic, we see things like the prison or we see Michonne or we see the governor introduced into the television show. And because we know the storyline of the comic, we're enthusiastic and excited, I think more so than someone would be who are coming to those things cold. Uh, without having read the comic, without having that you know that kind of knowledge before you know beforehand, that's probably um, so, absolutely true. <laughs> so something I, I always try to I mean I always try to keep in mind you know while we're doing the podcast is you know there are a lot of people who are watching the show that haven't read the comic and don't understand why we're so excited you know when we see Michonne uh, you know at the end of season two or you know we get introduced to the governor and Woodbury now in season three. Um, so I mean I can understand where she you know we might be you know we. Um, Enthusiasm, I think, might have carried over into into episode one, you know, more than you know her and her son thought so. Anyways, that's definitely possible. Um, I, I got to say, in terms of comic versus TV, 
I like, like Russ said, I like when the TV the TV show deviates in terms of plot, in terms of what happens on a on a you know individual, more intimate scale. I do definitely appreciate though when it's evoking the tone of the comic, and certainly, I mean, like we've been saying here for the last couple of minutes, when those elements from the comic book, uh, Michonne, the governor, the prison, when those things show up, it definitely I, I get excited. I, I wouldn't say that I want things to play out exactly the way they did in the book, and certainly with the episode we're going to talk about tonight, they really, really did not. Um, but I do definitely like when the tone or, or individual things are brought in. Another thing that she brought up was the kickback. We mentioned that that briefly. Um, yeah, I think at this point, no, we didn't mention it, but we've mentioned it a lot of times in the past. Uh, maybe not on the air as many times as we've done off the air, but at a certain point, I've kind of just given up on pointing it out. It's, you know, it's, it is what it is. And for the sleeping zombie in the hallway, uh, in comic book terms, and I think they even refer to it in the show briefly like this, or maybe I'm just imagining it, but they're generally referred to as lurkers, and those are zombies that you think have already been dispatched. They're just kind of sitting around, and, you know, whether it's damage to the zombie or whether it's emaciation of the zombie, for whatever reason, they don't react until you're really close, and then they kind of lunge for you. So, I I mean, I I like them in terms of they're good, they're creepy, they're good for a jump scare, which is kind of cheap, but they're still good for them, but, uh, Again, it is another one of those suspension of disbelief things, for sure. They're a great argument for the double tap. Well. <laughs> yes, 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 amen. Yes. <laughs> and what, lastly, uh, one of the things I want to comment on is um, is the family friendliness to the show. I mean, all of, we we kind of pride ourselves on the network in, in general. I mean, anything on the what we call the master feed, um, which is Half Hour Wasted, Legion of Dudes, Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Um, our before Watchmen specials, which are technically Legion of Dudes and the Walking Dead TV podcast, we definitely keep the language family friendly. Um, if there are occasion where there's cursing, it's always bleeped out or um, or, or otherwise edited. Yeah, or or otherwise edited. Um, so you know, again, if that's the kind of entertainment that you like, a uh, little little self indulgent plug here. Um, head over to hhwlod.com and check out some of the other shows that we got going on. Because uh, if you like the banter, most of us are you know cross pollinate a lot, and you'll hear a lot of the same voices uh, going on. So thanks, thanks again. Yes, thank you very much, Jim. What's that uh, last email? I've got an email here from uh, Todd W. It brings up an interesting question. Um, Todd W., uh, I was surprised you didn't touch on Merle's comment when he ranted about having a gun pointed at them. He went on to say that he would be more scared of a man who walked up to him with his hands in his pockets. Is this foreshadowing of the governor walking up to the National Guard group? And is Merle scared of the governor? Food for thought, Todd W. Well, I think we'll definitely have more to say about whether he's scared of the governor as we talk about uh, this week's episode. Um, but the foreshadowing is definitely an interesting idea. I really like that. Uh, but in terms of just general good life advice for after the world has ended, yeah, I mean, I, I, what he's saying is kind of uh, the you know the devil you know versus the devil you don't kind of idea. If you see a person has a gun, you can at least be prepared for it and know that they are not trying to hide that gun from you. If they have their hands in their pockets, it could be anything. Who knows? They could have a live grenade for all you know or a, a snake or a Pez dispenser. Which are very dangerous. A snake-shaped Pez dispenser. That shoots bullets. And snakes. <laughs> Some snake bullets. <laughs> but a definitely good catch about the foreshadowing. I, I, Obviously, we can't say for sure whether it is, but I, I certainly would like to believe so. All right, without any further ado, should we talk about this week's episode? Sure. 
Alrighty. Episode 304 of The Walking Dead is titled Killer Within. Uh, we begin the episode outside the prison, uh, where we see a person walking around who has a fire axe. We can't see exactly who the person is, although, I mean, I was able to guess fairly quickly who it was, or at least who I assumed it was, and I was correct. Uh, I don't know. What, what about you guys? Did you guess as to who it would be? I did not expect it to be who it was, um, just based on the fact that we saw how that person was dispatched um, at the end of... of uh, I guess the the second episode. So I, I was, uh, it surprised me. I was uh, immediately thinking about the end of the last episode where somebody was watching Carol practice uh, her cesarean cutting skills on that uh, young girl zombie. Remember, we saw someone watching her from afar, right? Uh, that, that she didn't notice, and I thought, you know, immediately I thought, okay, same person, same same lurker. Ah, gotcha. And Gail Ann Hurd, one of the producers, uh, she was on Talking Dead, and she she pretty much confirmed that it was the same person here who was watching Carol and who uh, did what we're about to talk about here. But uh, it, we're watching this person. He's walking around, um, and he's got a, a deer carcass that's pretty messed up, and he's pretty much leaving a trail of deer crumbs, if you will, uh, from outside the prison gates. Inside, he's you know chopping uh, gates open. He's breaking locks. He's... Leaving a trail of blood and gore straight from outside the prison walls inside to lead zombies in, and uh, I think after that it goes right to the to the credits, right? Or was there anything more? No, it was just him doing those preparations with the uh, yeah. you see the gas can, the, the deer, and then opening the uh, the gate, opening the gate, and putting more meat to, to lure in the walkers. Right. So when we come back from the opening credits, uh, we've got you know Rick and the group. They're discussing uh, their plan to clear out the prison yard and. and you know, shore up everything there, and Axel and Oscar come out and immediately set the group on edge. But uh, they just say, you know, they want to join the group. They want to turn over a new leaf. They can't stay in that cell anymore or in that prison block. Those are the guys they know. They can't even get them outside too easily because there's still walkers in their area of the courtyard. And uh, so the group... Criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the group... Kind of discusses it. Uh, Rick says no. Daryl says no. But Teagar, uh, Teak Dog, is uh, in favor of you know giving him a chance at least. He, you know, Rick says, "Do you want to choose their safety or our safety, or do you want to let them die, or do you want to let I, us die?" And he basically says, "I don't want to let either of them die. We should give them a chance." But uh, but Rick disagrees. At at this point, I was like, "Hmm, when was the last time we heard somebody giving a dissenting opinion, trying to use logic to dis to persuade the group into a humanitarian action?" Oh yeah, that was Dale. <laughs> Minutes so, before he dead. died. Yeah. So at this point, I was like, "Well, T Dog, it's been nice knowing you." <laughs> and see, I probably should have guessed that. Instead, I went to, "Oh, finally, they're going to give T Dog a bit of a story arc." Nope. Well, a, a very short one that was only for this particular story, but. Uh, I, I was hoping for better things for him. It, it was not to be. So we jump over to Woodbury, where uh, Michonne is looking at the National Guard trucks. She's doing her best Batman. You know, she's she's finding the blood traces. She's finding bullet holes in the side of it. She's inspecting the uh, the machine gun mounted on the back. And then she uh, does some detective work with the governor. And she asks him about how they, the soldiers died. And uh, he, he tries his best to play coy and to convince her to stay in Woodbury, you know, I could use you in my army, and uh, Michonne's clearly not buying it, and later on she and Andrea have a discussion 
where they decide, or more Michonne decides and is trying to convince Andrea we should leave, we should go for the coast, find an island if we can, um, and she makes it very clear she does not trust the governor. I think the governor sees the potential in Michonne to be like another Merle, like another enforcer, you know, if he was able to get her onto his side, but uh, obviously not to be. Right. And, and it's interesting, you know, we've already kind of seen how the governor prefers loners. He prefers not to find a group. He wants one person, maybe two people if he has to, but he doesn't want groups that might turn against him. He wants the Merles. He wants the Miltons. He wants people with no other ties to other people outside of the community. And it's interesting that he's playing both sides against the middle. He's both trying to convince Andrew to stay and Michonne to stay. But I wonder if they both decided, yeah, this is cool, whether he would actually let both of them live or whether he would dispatch one of them pretty quickly. And who would he choose? Well, I think he wants one for one thing and one for another, though, if you know what I mean. Uh, well, oh, yeah. that, that's I true. Mean, that is M- definitely Michonne, true. Michonne would be like a nice, another, you know, and forgive the moral pun, uh, you know, another right hand for him in, in uh, <laughs> combat situations. But evidently, I mean, and we, and we see from that, the you know, the later scene in, in this episode, he definitely has designs on Andrea. Right. You know, rom- romantic designs, as it were. So, I, at least in my opinion, if he had to choose between the two of them, which one he would stay, let stay, I think he would choose Michonne because he can get what he wants from Andrea from someone else. Um, whereas a killer as as uh, skilled as as Michonne, they you know they're not just growing on trees. I agree. I mean, we we saw he had a woman in his bed at the end of last episode. So right, um, you know, obviously, but the woman, uh, but the woman in the picture at the end of that episode was blonde, and the woman in his bed was brunette. I think the woman, the woman in the picture, you know, his his wife or whatever, uh, you know, I think Andrew reminds him of her. Probably. Oh, good point. Ooh, yeah, that's interesting. I like that thought. Uh, we head back to the prison where, uh, <laughs> and I guess uh, we forgot one thing from the earlier scene, or I forgot one thing from the earlier scene. They're trying to find Maggie and Glenn, and Maggie and Glenn are, are getting it on up in one of the guard towers in, in, a, in one of the few funny scenes of the episode. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty comical. Yeah. Um, but so later on, Rick is telling Glenn to, you know, give Axel and Oscar, you know, a week's worth of supplies and then get them out of here. You know, they were they don't want to stay in that cell block. Fine. They can leave and they can go do whatever they want, but they can't do it here. So Axel is talking to Daryl and he's like, hey, you know, I can fix your motorcycle. It sounds like it has some problems here. Daryl wants nothing to do with it. And, uh, you know, Oscar, Oscar is still being his. uh how would you even describe that? He he has no interest in in playing up the friend angle. He is not going to bring himself down to the level of Axel and of the group of trying to play nice to get in with the group. He he knows that there's no point to it. Like, you know, you could be nice all you want. These people aren't going to change their mind. They're not going to come around. So, you know, why are you degrading yourself and demeaning yourself? You know, basically man up and just come to grips with the fact that they don't want you. They don't want me. We're on our own. This is just how it is. Right. I would say standoffish. Good word. Not the one I was thinking of. I still can't figure out what it was, but still good. Aloof? (laughs) No. (laughs) We can keep naming words. Uh, (laughs) Nonplussed. Jim Deach, you stop naming words. Unimpressed? (laughs) Underwhelmed. White pistachio nut. Red pistachio nut. Uh, Meanwhile, Beth, Carl, and Lori are helping Herschel up onto some crutches that they found, and they they take him for a walk out in the cell block where uh, where Carl challenges Herschel to a race, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, Was it it me, or did you think Herschel was doing his best 
uh, scarecrow impression on those uh, from the Wizard of Oz impression on the uh, or Tin Man impression on the crutches. It just seemed like I don't know. Maybe he's just still jacked up on pain meds or something. But most people take to crutches fairly easy. It just seemed like they were belaboring the fact that he has a really hard time getting around on crutches, um, which I don't know. It just it just seemed odd to me. His whole balance would be off, though. I mean, he's missing a whole leg. It's, I mean, you break your leg, sure, but your balance is still there because you still have both legs, you know? I mean, yeah, his whole balance, point. his whole equilibrium is thrown off. And that's I thought true. he was doing fairly fine. It was more that uh, Beth and Lori were coddling him and, like, treating him like he was going to spontaneously combust if they didn't stay within three inches of him. Yeah, yeah. So you have this moment in the episode where I'm sitting there, and my, one of my sisters is in the room as well, and we're watching the episode, and you have the kind of this nice, quiet moment. So, I think soft music was playing. Everybody's smiling. The camera's taking these slow pans throughout the group, and I, I just looked over and said, okay, something very, very bad is about to happen because they are <laughs> they are telegraphing just how, how bad this is going to be so much. And uh, not surprisingly... The camera pans just a little bit more, and you see a group of walkers in the courtyard behind uh, Herschel, Lori, and Carl, and everything goes to hell very quickly. The one thing I want to say at this point, we've been pretty, or at least I have, and, and this this comment will kind of sound somewhat hypocritical, but I, I think I can I, I think I could justify it to myself. I've been pretty critical of you know them doing divergent story points, and that they take episodes and focus on one group or the other we kind of praised last week um with with last week's episode about um them focusing on woodbury and not trying to go back and forth but i will say this this episode works better in my opinion because they went back and forth and the reason i think that is because of the tension like you can't sit there the whole time and like be on the edge of your seat, but you get to that moment where they're, you know, the main group is being chased and stuff is happening and then boom, they cut away to Woodbury and it's like, okay, you could breathe for a few seconds and then wonder what's going on there. And then boom, they're back in the prison and stuff is going on. So I loved the, the, I thought this was a very good balance. Um, and, and the other thing is it, it, it kind of balanced the action and, and slower points. Um, to me, if you have, either slowness going on on one side and slowness going on the other side, I think that's when it suffers and drags a little bit or the other way around. If it's action in both sides, then it's just, it's like too much going on at once. So I thought it was really cool that they balanced this high drama, high action, high tension, uh, you know, situation in the prison with kind of the conniving scheming, what's who's moving and positioning who in Woodbury um, to, to counteract that. I thought that was just very, very well done. Yeah, I definitely agree. It helps, uh, helps keep us from developing ulcers. So the zombies attack, uh, Herschel and Beth get themselves inside of a little chain link fenced in, I don't even know what you call it, but a, a little section that kind of surrounds a door. So they get themselves locked in the middle of the action, but at least far enough away from the zombies that they are safe for the time being. Uh, Maggie, Lori, and Carl, they flee into the cell block. And as T-Dog is fighting off zombies, he gets bitten right on the shoulder. And that is our first uh, indication that things are about to go very badly. Where was his riot shield? Yeah. <laughs> My wife looked at me and said, oh, no. And I said, I know, just like Big Tiny, they can't cut off his shoulder. <laughs> Pretty much. 
So we head back to Woodbury, and that's where uh, Andrea is talking to Merle, and she shows him on a map where Herschel's farm was, because he wants to go look for Daryl. And, uh, you know, he asks her to come along with him. She says no. And uh, he also hits on her a little bit, and she makes it pretty darn clear that she is not interested in him. Uh, she'll she'll deal with Shane, but not not uh, Merle. Even she has standards. And uh, they, they have a discussion about how they were both abandoned. And we see, I mean, I guess there's already hints of this a little bit, but... Andrea's a little bit uh, a little bit ticked at the group for abandoning her. Yeah, I couldn't really tell what her real feelings were on it. Because um, she didn't seem, like, really upset, but she wasn't didn't seem overly forgiving either. I mean, it was kind of like she knew it kind of all went to hell and everybody went their own way. But, um, you know, I think she was... I don't know. I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see when the inevitable reunion hits how that's going to play itself out. Definitely. And this was a good scene for Merle. We have this uh, this moment where she asks him, you know, is the governor a good man? And Merle says, he's a good man. When he found me, I was, you know, I was not in good shape. You know, didn't have the hand. He should have just kept on going or he should have killed me. But uh, he brought me along with him and he's a good man. Which is then juxtaposed when Merle goes to the governor who is playing golf um, by you know, doing drives off the side of the uh, of the wall surrounding Woodbury. And he says, hey, Andrea gave me this information. I want to go find my brother. And the governor, I don't know if passive-aggressively is the right term, but he, uh, he very quickly and very strongly tries to dissuade Merle from going. He doesn't want him to take other people. He doesn't want Merle to go by himself. He says, basically, you get me more information, I'll go with you myself. But you can tell that even if he gets that more information, he's going to try to find another reason not to let Merle go off and not to go off with Merle to look for Daryl. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that whole exchange because it was the governor. It, it it definitely accentuated the fact that the governor is in charge in Woodbury, and that even somebody as strong-willed as tough as Merle is willing to back down and to kind of uh, go along with what the governor has to say. And so that again, that just kind of plays to his strength of character. Uh, in this environment, so I, I just, I really, I just really thought that was interesting, and the fact that he has impeccable, he has impeccable aim uh, with the golf ball, because even he can hit a zombie in the head um, <laughs> from a hundred yards with the drive. I was like, man, they can't miss with guns, with bows, with crossbows, with uh, you know bricks. Um, you know, probably if somebody had a bowling ball, they'd be able to hit one in the head. Um, and here we go with uh, you know a golf ball at hundred yards and smacks one in the head. So. Yeah, but this brings up the interesting point that we had in that email: Is Merle afraid of the governor? I mean, obviously Merle owes the governor his life; he's loyal to the governor. Uh, but is he afraid of him? I mean, Merle. I mean, as up to this point, has been kind of, you know, portrayed as this kind of like menacing, crazy badass, and uh, you know, to see that you know he's brought like humbled in the in the presence of the governor. I mean, do you guys think he's actually afraid of him? I would say he's cautious around him, and I would also say it was interesting in this scene, we got to see that, you know, it's not just that the governor is trying to dissuade from him from going to look and completely succeeding. Merle is not happy with what the governor is saying, and you can definitely right. tell there's some tension there, which I think is a very interesting development. Yeah, I, I don't think he's afraid of him, but I think he realizes, Merle realizes how good he has it. And as much as he wants to go after his brother, there's still, I think, something in Merle, the back of Merle's head that um, is maybe afraid of what he's going to find. You know, almost, you know, it is his brother, but, um, you know, he kind of, 
you know, obviously if he's still with the group and based on what what um Andrew was saying he was, you know, is you know, what's he gonna find when he when he comes across him? And maybe it was kind of one of those things where he'll push it, but if he gets pushed back, you know, he's okay to kind of back down and at least for, for from his perspective or his conscience is cleared because, you know, he's willing to kind of go after him. So it was a very um I think it was a complex I think there's a lot of things going on, and I, I think we'll see uh, how that relationship furthers as, as the season goes by. So then we have another scene in Woodbury where the governor and Andrea sit down and they share a drink um, before she's about to leave. And uh, we get his quote-unquote real name, Philip, which uh, readers of Rise of the Governor will know to be, uh, I'll say important, noteworthy, uh, certainly certainly worth worth taking note of. Uh, but he finally tells her his name. He says he's Philip. He says he has a wife and daughter, but his wife died in a car accident. Um, I think he said 18 months before the zombies rose up, but bef- before the zombie apocalypse anyway. And he interestingly uses the phrase, now it's just me and my daughter. Uh, we have not seen the daughter yet, except in a photograph, if we are to assume that that is the same girl. But we we have not seen uh, head nor hair of her yet. Hopefully she's not in the fish tank. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, hopefully not. Um, <laughs> but uh, the governor says, you know, I understand if you're going to leave, but you can return to Woodbury at any time if you change your mind. And uh, Andrea leaves, and we get this kind of weird scene where it almost looks like he's going to kiss her. He's definitely been hitting on her, but she ducks out, and uh, she goes to Michonne and says she's going to stay in Woodbury a little longer, and Michonne storms out. One of the things, just to back up a little bit, when they're having their, their drink at the table, um, I think it's it's Andrea that says, today's gone by. And uh, and then the governor, kind of, they kind of toast it, which I thought was interesting because, again, that was the first season. The first episode of the first season was called Days Gone By. Um, the first volume of the trade is Days Gone By. So I just I thought that was uh, that was interesting that they, you know, kind of mentioned that again or that that made it to script. And if you were paying close attention, you could see the governor look right at the camera and mouth the word callback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that didn't actually happen, but it would have been funny. So then we head back to the prison, and uh, Glenn finds out that someone cut the gate open, so already they can tell there's some sabotage. Axel and Oscar show up, and, and Rick starts to say, hey, it was it was these guys. But then, pretty much proving their innocence, which I thought was really good timing, but it worked very well for the plot of the episode, the prison alarm starts going off. It's really loud. More walkers are coming in. Uh, you can see them approaching from the distance. And so it's pretty clearly not Axel or Oscar, since they're right there. They're, you know, you can't be in two places at once. And uh, they explain where the generators are and that someone must have just uh, powered them up and that they think they can go help and, uh, and shut them off. So Rick and Glenn start shooting out the, out the, uh, the speakers to bring the sound, uh, the sound levels down some, and they, they go inside the prison to find the generators. Glenn gets a really cool zombie kill in this scene, too. He takes off like the, the top half of a head of yeah, a zombie, and yeah. it just kind of flies in the opposite direction. I thought it was a really, really good kill, one. but the CG was a little dodgy. Eh, look, I guess I'm looking at low def, so it, it looked fine to me. Um, did anybody yeah, me get a, a real Star Wars Episode Four, um, a New Hope vibe off of them shooting out the 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 uh, speakers? Boring conversation, just, anyway. Yeah, it just had that very detention uh, level uh, feel to it when they started blasting all the cameras well, um, around there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So they go into the prison hallways, and we, we catch up with uh, Carol, who uh, she's, she, it's just her and T-Dog in, in this section of the prison. 
and she decides she'll, you know, she's going to do whatever's necessary to help him. Um, but he insists he's going to get her back to the cell block, and then he's going to leave her because he, you know, he's now a danger to her, being that he's bit. So they reach the laundry room, but they're blocked by walkers. They're out of ammo, and T Dog charges the walkers, and he tells Carol keep going. She runs for the door, and uh, she looks back. We see T Dog start to get really torn apart. He gets a chunk taken out of uh, out of his neck and out of his arm, and she runs towards one of the doors it opens and we just kind of see her disappear into uh, white light but we don't really see what happens to her after that so T-Dog gets to go out like a champ I mean it sucks he hasn't had more to do in the show uh, that he hasn't had more lines but I think we all liked him we, we definitely all like Irony Singleton he's an awesome guy and uh, at least he got to go out saving somebody else and uh, just still being pretty awesome even to his last minute yeah yeah it was just a shame I mean I felt I mean, I kind of saw it coming, like I I said earlier, but, um, you know, we've we've interviewed Irony Singleton a couple times, so I, I guess I feel like, you know, we have a little bit more of a of a of a connection to him than than maybe some folks do. Um, just a super nice guy. I saw him on The Talking Dead. He was super gracious to, uh, you know, Gail and Hurd, to the cast, to the crew. Um, there are a couple times it looked like he was, you know, kind of kind of tearing up a little bit as as all the well wishes came in and everything. So. Um, I guess he's got a couple things career-wise lined up. Um, yeah, which he is, talked about I, he's got another show filming, which I'm surprised yeah. I hadn't heard because normally that's like the big spoiler is you hear that, hey, this actor's been cast in another show, and you're like, well, I guess they're dying. Um, yeah. But I was not spoiled on that one, so that was nice. Yeah. So, you know, good good luck to Irony Singleton. I hope uh, I hope we see him in stuff moving forward. And like Gail Aaron Hurd said, you know, you never know. There might be some flashback um, scene at some point, and he may be back. They may, you know decide to tell and you know give give us an episode of how they all got together you know originally or something we've seen it we've seen them do it before um you know i think in what season two we got the flashback to um to early events in in season you know prior to to the beginning of season one so um so you know may not be the last we see of irony singleton in uh, the walking dead i vote force ghost <laughs> swish's character had gotten more of his due you know what i mean after after the end, you know, after the end of season two, where he's kind of taking a, a him and Daryl are kind of like the, um, the second in command under under Rick. I was really hoping that they'd give you know T Dog more to do, more lines, and more, you know, more you know, motivations and more for irony to do as an actor. And I never really thought he got his due, so I'm sorry to see him go. Absolutely. So then we head to a different section of the prison where Lori, Carl, and Maggie are uh, are looking for a safe place to go. Uh, and Lori starts having contractions. Uh, the baby's coming. So they go to the boiler room, and uh, Maggie starts to help Lori deliver the baby. But uh, things quickly go pretty bad. We see uh, that she's starting to hemorrhage blood. It's it's not looking good. And she knows there's pretty much at this point nothing that can be done for her. So she uh, has a nice conversation with Carl where, you know, she tells him she loves him, that he, he's he's so strong, he's so brave, etc. And uh, she tells Maggie, you're going to have to do a C-section uh, take Carl's knife. You're going to have to do it. I'm going to die, but at least give this baby a, a chance to live. And uh, it, pretty much in that moment, as soon as soon as she gets cut into, which is pretty graphic, um, she passes out and, and she doesn't say another word after that. And uh, the baby is born. At first, it doesn't seem to be breathing, but Maggie you know, knows at least enough to do enough of what to do to get the baby breathing. And, and it starts crying, which is a good sign. And, you know, I wasn't totally but I, I want to see what you guys think about this i wasn't totally on board with Lori's death scene i mean I, I wasn't like hating it it wasn't um it wasn't terrible but i wasn't 
totally on board until the moment when Carl says, you know, she's my mom, I have to be the one who kills her. And we have this flashback to the end of season two, uh, we're towards the end of season two, when Rick and, and Carl are up in the top of the barn at, at Herschel's place, and, you know, he has that scene where he says, he gives Carl the gun, the same gun that Carl ends up shooting Laurie with, and says, you know, things are going to be bad, I'm going to die, your mom's going to die, you're going to have to do terrible things, etc., and for me, that flashback really sold the scene. Like, I wasn't totally sold until that happened. And then I, I was, you know, I would have been on my feet applauding if it hadn't been so late at night and people were sleeping. But I, I've also read some reviews where people thought it took them out of the scene in general. So for me, it's what made it work. For other people, it, it totally stopped it from working for them. What did you guys feel about the use of the flashback in the scene and the scene in general? I liked it. I thought I thought it worked well within the context of the scene. Uh, it didn't take me out of it at all. Um, I, something my wife brought up was that, um, that she didn't think that would be an auth- automatic uh, death sentence for her to have a C-section if they were able to stop the bleeding. But, um, you know, I guess for, for dramatic effect, it had to be. Um, e- even as much as I dislike the character of Laurie, this is uh, not the, what I expected to see or n- not how I expected to see her go. I think it's important to note that she was not only bleeding from the C-section, she was hemorrhaging internally and i i mean aside from herschel who they're separated from even with him around i don't know in those particular circumstances how fatal that is but i would assume it's not good it's yeah <clears throat> very well, it's bad. obviously not good <laughs> well yeah yeah um complications during pregnancy like that those are really dangerous especially if you don't have access to modern medical equipment even with modern medicine, you know, that kind of a situation can be very, very dangerous and extremely life-threatening. So, um, you know, obviously I, that that's why they wrote it that way. But uh, I, for me, well, two things. I'll, I'll, I'll frame it this way. So this whole scene for me was, I knew it was coming. Um, I didn't read any spoilers online. I didn't, you know, hear anything. But I didn't, at least... AMC broadcast The Walking Dead at at the first time at 9, 8 central. And then they rebroadcast it at 10 eastern, 9 central. So I DVR'd it at 9 o'clock because something else was going on at 8 o'clock. So I, was, I waited until like 9, 15-ish to start it so that way I could catch up and not have to watch all the commercials. So I started over on the DVR. Well, AMC, two things. One, the DVR typically picks up about a minute before the actual hour hits. And sometimes these episodes go over a couple minutes. So when I hit start over, it was actually the scene where, which we'll get to next, where they Maggie brings the baby out and Rick is showing. And I was like, what the hell's going on? I thought that they were starting at the end and they were going to fill it in. Oh. And then about 30 seconds later, I was like, you know, son of a gun. And that so sucks, then I, man. Yeah, so then I forwarded it and realized what happened. Um, so I had to watch the entire episode knowing exactly how it was going to end. Um, that being said, this was a very... I explained it to my wife. I said, that was a very hard scene to watch. Um, it was very... And not just for the gore, but emotionally. I, I personally felt it was a very heart-wrenching, a very touching, a very... Um, just a very difficult scene to watch, like I said. And, and I don't know if it's just imagining your own kid in that situation, imagining your wife in that situation, 
um, the helplessness of it all. I just it was it was not what I expected at all. I mean, we've seen other moments, you know, with like with Andrea and Amy, and you know the way Herschel went out, or not Herschel, the the way Dale went out, and other things that have happened in the show. But to me, just and I I got to give it up to Sarah Wayne Callies and just her performance in that role. I mean, maybe it was a little forced in that oh, it just so happens that she's hemorrhaging internally and that she has this baby this way. And, you know, it just so happens that, you know, they're in this situation. But regardless, I mean, again, that's the suspension of disbelief. That's the the comic book side of things, um, the way, you know, these things happen. But, um, you know, just the whole when she kept saying, you know, my baby boy and you're so good and, you know, you're, you've got to survive in this world. You're going to make it, you know, take care of your, bro- you know, the whole take care of your brother or sister. It's like even in the end, she didn't know, you know, is it a boy? Is it a girl? You know, all these things going on and, you know, take care of your dad. And then I agree with you, Jordan, the flashback sequence to, la- to, to last season with those little bits. I thought that just was really like the topper to me that that I mean, I was, you know, I was I was kind of getting a little a little a little emotional there oh, yeah. uh, for a minute. And I'm I'm normally like, you know, Mr. Coldhearted, you know, SOB um, when I watch stuff like this. I don't things like that don't usually affect me at all. But um, I just man, I just from the writing to the acting, um, you know, to to. Chandler Riggs and his performance and the way they handled that, especially when he walked away, you know, after like, she, you know, they show that scene where, you know, he obviously, you know, fired the shot and walks past Maggie and he just has that look on his face and the way they 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 frame that shot. I was just like blown away. I just I don't know. I can't I can't say enough about it, um, honestly. I think the scene is so brutal because, I mean, we've seen nameless zombies hot, you know, hacked and smashed and burned and destroyed in, in all these different ways. But then we see a, a character like Lori, who, we, you know, we've had mixed feelings about from her actions all the way through this, um, you know, turn, turn out, like you said, uh, Russ, in a really a, a bravura performance, I thought it was really, I, I really thought that scene worked a lot. And the flashback worked well, I thought, within the context of the scene to kind of, you know, place place the context of where where carl's head is now you know at that point and uh, uh like you said russ chandler riggs really i mean for for an actor of his age really showed a lot of range uh in that one scene yeah in in, in many ways this episode and that scene in particular was the final nail in the coffin of his childhood and his humanity if we thought there was any of that left um you know there was even another like little glances shared between him and, and beth earlier in the episode um, I'm curious now to see who does he become after this because I mean we'll get to yeah. it in a minute. I want to talk some other things before we talk about the end scene, but just how cold he looks and how almost dead inside he looks, and not in like a, he's just not acting, but in he really is acting and it just acting it really cold. Um, what does this mean for Carl and Rick and the baby? Um, is going to be very interesting as we move forward. But he, you know, and two before he had to do that and before she actually passed. Um, he had kind of his, you know, his moment, you know, he was like a, a kid, you know, he was, he was crying and he was, you know, he grabbed hold of her and he was hugging her and yells um, like, you're killing her. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he was definitely, again, it's just, you know, we kind of saw it, you know, a couple episodes ago, like I said, when they hit the prison and, you know, he kind of got scolded in, in front of Beth and he kind of acted like a kid and ran off. Um, 
you know, I wonder if this is the last we're going to see of that side of Carl where he's, you know, that was his last moment to act like a kid and to be affected like a kid who lost his mother, um, you know, at such a young age. But it's just, man, it just it just had me all twisted up. Like, I didn't know which, you know, it it it's and it's so funny because I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming, but I guess I I didn't expect. You know, I couldn't have imagined that it would have happened that way and that the the performance would have carried forward the way it did. And that just really just just knocked me on my butt. Right. Um, we talked a bit about this uh, two weeks ago and, and the week before that with the episodes one and two of season three. They were doing Lori rehab, if you will. They were doing a lot of rehab on the character, making her more sympathetic, making her realize um, the mistakes she's made, etc., I think I feel that they did enough to to really earn that scene. Do you guys agree? Do you do you feel differently? Do you think they should have done more for her character, or do you think they did just the right amount in terms of bringing her back to a point where we can feel bad for her um, as she's on death's door? There, um, I think I think they did enough. I mean, could would it have been okay for them to do more? I think you know, sure, but again the the powerful the, the other powerful thing to this and I think we'll get to this not only at, you know in a few minutes here but for episodes to come is Rick never got to reconcile with her yeah you know they never they never worked it out they never you know got to the bottom of you know how they were going to handle things or you know if they still loved each other um you know and and Rick in in some ways is responsible for what happened you know he didn't make sure that was it Andrew was that his name Andrew, Andrew yes yeah, that he was dead. You know, he assumed because he put him on in a locked yard with a you know crapload of zombies that he wasn't going to make it. Um, and we all assume the same thing. Exactly. But ultimately, you know, again, a, a little moment of weakness on Rick's part, um, and and this is what it cost him. Um, and he wasn't there to protect his wife and his son. And again, goes back to Shane. Right? What was Shane's whole deal? You can't protect them. I can keep her safe. I can keep Carl safe. And, you know, just by a strange twist of fate and, and the way things happen, Rick couldn't protect his wife. And, I mean, it, it's just, I, I, think, I think that makes it more powerful than if they would have spent the time, if they would have spent the time redeeming her character fully, her and Rick reconciling or not reconciling and being, ha being fine with it or whatever. I think this scene wouldn't have the impact that it does to both the audience and the characters. Yeah, I agree. The potential is more tragic than if they had spelled it out. You know, I think it's more like, like you said, you know, the, the potential that was there for them, them to reconcile, the fact they never got to is more tragic than if they had actually reconciled and then, you know, Laurie had died. So uh, I think, I think it works. Yeah. So as uh, speaking of Rick, uh, we catch up with, Rick, Oscar, and Daryl as they are heading to the generator room. And uh, they find when they get there, they start to try to t turn things off. One, Andrew comes out of the uh, the shadows with an axe and attacks Rick. And it kind of reminds me in, in some ways of uh, the first Transporter movie or Old Boy or something. Um, certainly not in the scope of those particular fights, but just him versus Rick with the axe. Um, and, uh, you, know, the, you know, Rick's going for his gun. The gun gets knocked out of his hand. Uh, they, they get, you know, punched around a little bit, and then finally they both stand up and they're looking at each other, and Oscar picks up the gun. 
and Andrew's telling him, shoot Rick, you know, shoot him, we can take this place back, and Rick's looking at him, and Rick Rick is really not sure what's going to happen, but uh, Oscar points the gun to the left, hits Andrew, and uh, and even at that point, I think Rick kind of thinks that he's going to get shot too, but uh, Oscar gives him the gun, they power down the generator, and uh, that crisis in particular is uh, is averted. Yeah, this, to me, I, I guess a little telegraphed. I mean, I kind of, you know, saw the way that this was going to go. Um, but but a cool sequence nonetheless. I mean, um, you know, the two of them kind of squaring off, and, the, again, the brutality and, and the and the kind of close-quarters combat and everything. And it allows Oscar a way into the group. You know, it, it allows him, it allows Rick to, ha- to have a reason to trust him, which I think yeah. is good. Because, I mean, yeah. I could see if this was season two, Oscar and Axel outside the prison, almost like a, a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern type group where they're there making snarky comments or something and Rick won't let them in and it goes on for episode after episode. And here, you know, they're they're not taking that long route. I think by next episode, either they will be in the group or they will be making their way into the group, which I think is good. Yeah, agreed. So then we get to the scene that we've alluded to um, a, a few times in the episode and that's uh, it's it's a killer. It's when they get back, everybody kind of comes back to the to the courtyard. They've cleared out the zombies from there, or at least enough that they can have a conversation. And uh, at first, I guess it's just Rick, Daryl, and Glenn, and Oscar and Axel. They meet back up with Ben or with um, with uh, Herschel and Beth. And then uh, they're they're looking for T Dog. They're looking for Carol. They're looking for Lori and and Maggie and and Carl. And and they they know that. T-Dog is dead. I think they find his body. They assume Carol's dead. We never see that in the episode, and there's an interesting theory someone posted on the Facebook group we'll discuss later about that. And uh, then Maggie and Carl emerge from one of the, the rooms from the prison, carrying the baby, and it takes Rick a second to fully vocalize what he's realizing, but um, I don't even know if he says anything. He just starts you know, kind of screaming, wailing, crying, no, as he he can't he can't even like touch the baby or look at the baby he he kind of just looks more at Carl and and understands what Carl did and had to do and uh, he just keeps screaming it's this really emotional scene and he collapses on the ground and uh, that's how we end the episode I mean as much as the I thought the Lori death scene was affecting and, and especially once the flashback hit this is the part that broke me I mean it was just some stellar work from Andrew Lincoln that was a killer scene. And again, Chandler Ring's reaction to him. Or, or lack you know, of reaction. Exactly, exactly. Like, again, such a subtle performance for such a young guy, you know. Just really well done and well acted. And, and again, like you said, with the Andrew Lincoln, the wailing, that the just kind of, you know, that mournful wail is just really, again, well executed. Um, again, another reason, well, we'll see in the Buster ratings later why, you know, I think this might be one of uh, a lot of people's favorite episodes so far. You know, the other performance that, you know, definitely we don't want to go underrated was Lauren Cohan. And there's a lot of times in movies, TV shows, whatever, where something emotional happens and the characters are supposed to be crying. And a lot of times they you feel like they get the facial expressions and the 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 sobbing and everything. But, man, I, I just really bought that she was bawling her eyes out and was just so absolutely distraught with what happened and what had to happen and you know when rick went to go you know he wanted to go after Lori. he didn't you know i thought maybe at that moment he thought maybe maybe just you know there's a 
0.1% chance that she's just trapped somewhere and he was going to go after her. And, you know, Maggie, you know, grabs him and says, no, Rick, you know, don't, you know, don't. And she's just, you know, just crying and has this baby, you know, held against her um, and, you know, covered in, you know, her hands and, and the baby are in blood and, and everything going on. And I just, again, and then you combine that with Andrew Lincoln's performance and the collapse at the end and just the, you know, the, his, his overflowing of emotion. Um, it just was incredible. I mean, it just, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, Andrew Lincoln, I've, I've heard him on a, on, I heard him on Chris Hardwick's Nerdist and I've heard him, um, interviewed somewhere else. Maybe it was the one of the panel. Oh, it was the, it was the, the New York comic-con panel. And, uh, you know, he joked that, you know, Oh, don't, you know, don't ever say, um, you know, how much can they do to Rick to break him, um, you know, to break his character, um, because you'll find out. And, you know, now we know, um, at least one phase of what that means, you know, and, and it'll be interesting to see what's to come, but yeah, I mean, just the performances in this app, in this episode were just, um, you know, just, just unbelievable all the way around. I mean, even, even, D you know, with Daryl, um, you know, when they said something about, uh, you know, Daryl says, well, that, you know, that could have been anybody, you know, that could have been me, you know, you know, hold up in this prison or anybody, you know, any of my family or anybody I knew. And so, you know, at that point, you know, T-Doc says, well, or somebody says, well, you know, should we, you know, you know, you're agreeing with me, then we should, you know, let him in with us. And he's like, hell no, we shouldn't do that. You know, it's like, you know, I just his delivery on that, I thought was was really was really good. And just, you know, the way he responded when he picked up that scarf and knew it was uh, and knew it was Carol's. Uh, you know, he just he definitely had a reaction there. So, I, again, the performances this episode were just just top notch. If no, if 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 nobody is not at least nominated for an Emmy uh, for this season, at least so far, then I think there's or or the the show itself and doesn't win something. I think you know on the dramatic side, I think there's something wrong. It's interesting to me that this is episode four of a sixteen episode season. This isn't a season finale. Yeah. This isn't a mid season finale. Um, where do they go from here? I mean, I know we have the inevitable, and this is not a spoiler, the inevitable uh, meeting of Rick and, and the governor of uh, good old Phil. Um, we obviously are going to build to that at some point, presumably this season. I don't see them really stretching it out to season four. But aside from that, I mean, they've they've pretty much said this train keeps moving, and it keeps moving in ways you're not going to expect, but... I, I have no idea what to expect. Where do you go from an episode like this that keeps that momentum going and doesn't turn into like, the slower parts of season two? Yeah, it's it's going to be tough. I will say this. Um, overall, there's been a lot of character deaths. There's been a lot of crazy, dramatic, over-the-top um, physical character moments so far this season. And I think I'm at the point where if they keep on this path, a there's not going to be any primary cast left, but but b it just becomes you're waiting every episode for somebody to be killed off or somebody to die or something horrible happened to somebody. I think we need a stretch for a while where they either use that to build more tension or to find some other outlet to to give us some action. But I think I think if they they need to just kind of chill out for a little while on like major character deaths, because like I said, right. then to me, it just seems like you're pandering and you, you know, it's, it's almost like you're just trying to be shocking and you're trying to be edgy. Um, and I think this show proved that it can be more than that. 
Um, and I think there's a lot of things they can do with these characters in their current state of mind and what they've been through recently that, that they can do some really cool stuff. And if I had to guess, I, I would assume that over the next few episodes, it'll be more cerebral and psychological with Rick's group and the action will be relegated to the governor's crew um, as they yeah. go out on missions or Merle's looking for Daryl, etc. But uh, I think that would be probably the best way in terms of you know, being efficient with the characters and allowing them to breathe and to to mourn the, the loss of, you know, uh, of, of Lori and T-Dog and possibly Carol. Um that's probably the the way I would do it, but you know who knows the way they've been doing this uh, this season. Uh, I I would not, I wouldn't pu- I wouldn't place any bets on anything because uh, they're doing what they're doing, and I'm loving every minute of it. I agree, and uh, I I know the way it plays out in the comic, and I'm wondering how close it's going to be in in the television show. I mean, we've seen so many other deviations from you know the plotline of the comic and how things have played out and how characters have have been reshuffled. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, how close in, in recreation it is to to the source material. How long is the break between the um, the end of season eight and the and the, and the premiere of season nine and the season though? Or episode eight and episode nine? I think it's or about. Episode, I'm sorry, episode eight. Episode. Nine. I, I think it's about two months, just like last year. Like you stop around Thanksgiving and then you come back, uh, you know, mid January. But I'm not 100 percent sure. After the Super Bowl, I guess after football season, I'm trying to think. February sweeps. It, it looks like the next – it looks like there's only – I think the break, unless I'm mistaken, but looking at I think what John's put on the calendar. I think it's after episode only, eight, right? Th- there's si- six. There's only two more before the break. Oh, wow. Um, so we're going to have a lot next year. Yeah, so we get – we get and, – and that's – like I said, if this is correct. So we'll get an episode – we'll get episode five next week um, on the 11th, and then we'll get episode uh, six on – the 18th, and then it says that there's a there that that's the we go on hiatus. So it looks like they're going to split it up between six and then ten. So, well, that'll give us some breathing room for sure. <laughs> I wonder yeah. if we'll do another time jump, but uh, I mean we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, I, I I think at the end of this episode, I'll, I'll warn everybody now. After the ending, after the bloopers, we're going to have a small spoiler discussion about what happened in the comics versus what happened in the show. So if you are interested in that and don't mind the spoilers, stick around. But uh, before we get to that, uh, Russ, I think Brad sent in an email with his thoughts on the episode. He did. He did. Um, like I said, since he uh, he thought it was more important to go see Primus, um, uh, I'm going to continue to razz him for that. But uh, <laughs> but this will th- be good to lead us into our Buster ratings because it, it, Brad's email ends with his. Um, here's 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 some, some of what Mr. Milo had to say. Uh, I think the lesson to be taken away from this episode is to not believe anything anybody associated with the show ever says about the show. We were told that T-Dog would have a bigger story this season, and we all saw how that turned out to be a lie. I expected T-Dog to play a major part in the season's story. My expectations for this show are completely out the window now, and that's okay with me. As sad as it was to see T-Dog out of, in this episode, I approve of the way he went out. Brave and selfless. Good night, T-Dog. Gonna miss you. Lori's death was unexpected and selfless as well. The only difference is I won't really miss her. Um, I've decided that the Andrea we know and love from the comics will never be in this show. I will miss seeing her. Carl's acting in this episode improved tenfold. Uh, The moment when Rick realized what happened to Lori and what part Carl played in it was very powerful and moved me to tears. Bravo to Chandler Riggs and to Andrew Lincoln for an incredibly well-done scene. I'm sure we ain't seen nothing yet. Four and five-eighths busters for Mr. Brad Milo. 
Well, uh, a lot of our Facebook friends had a lot of really great things to say about this episode. Most of them uh, gave it five busters. Everard gives it a five out of five. I'll go ahead and give my very first five out of five, he says. It wasn't perfect, but it really had a lot of everything that makes this series great. Uh, Mike Jones says, if it's possible to exceed five, then this is it. Uh, Too soon for irony. He never got his just desserts. Uh, Echo Alpha gives it a 5 out of 5. Elisa Gonzalez gives it a 5. Also thinks they should name the baby girl T-Dog. I think it's a great idea. Uh, Robert Nigro, 5.5 out of 5. Uh, Amy Jade's son, despite uh, she is very unhappy that the writers chose to kill T-Dog without spending any quality time on developing him further, still gives it 5 busters. So it's pretty much, uh, 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 I mean, we have like a 475 from Terry and uh, and uh, Mary gives it five teary-eyed busters, so it's it's pretty unanimous. Uh, most everyone here is giving it uh, between a four point five and a five. A lot of uh, positive feedback on this episode. Uh, Mary Collins had the the two word uh, comment Chandler Riggs, <laughs> and uh, I agree with that. That's great. Oh, and Luke Smith, our our good friend uh, at uh, Luke Smith FX. Also, five busters. Best, most shocking episode to date. What about you two? What do you give it for buster ratings? Uh, I give it a five. Uh, you know, again, when a, when a television show can elicit that kind of uh, emotional response in somebody and can get you that invested and that kind of twisted up about what's going on to a bunch of fictional characters, um, I think... Uh, you know that that's that's worthy of note, and I think that's something. You know that that obviously says that it was good, it was powerful. Like I said, the performances are were second to none. I mean, I think from a start to finish, you know, even though I give it, like I said, the performances are what are what push this over the top as a five. The actual events that took place, um, you, you know, were were good and we're on par with some of the better episodes we've seen. But, but again, the acting in this one and the, and the writing and the way they handled uh, Lori's death specifically uh, was just, they just knocked it out of the park uh, completely. I too give it a five out of five. This is one of my favorite episodes of the entire series. Uh, just really well done, well directed, well paced, uh, breaking up the, the nonstop action of the prison with the Woodbury segments was a really great uh, great uh, um, device in this episode. Um, even in the, the the quieter scenes, the scene like we were talking about between Merle and the governor, and uh, the scene between Andrea and Michonne. I mean, uh, the scene with Andrea and the governor when they have a drink or whatever. Those are in, still intense, you know. Even though it's not, you know, zombies chasing me down a skewed camera in a dark hallway. Uh, intense. They still had a very, you know, gravit had a lot of gravitas to it. Uh, the the acting is, is top notch all, all all across the board. Uh, like we we're saying, Andrew Lincoln, Chandler Riggs, great great jobs in this episode. So I, do, I give it a five out of five. I I love this episode. I uh, I wrestled quite a bit with what I was going to rate this one, but I think in the end, especially after discussing with you guys, I think I'm going to give it a five out of five as well. I mean, I think for this show. This is the best it can be, and uh, I'm really happy with that. So, five out of five busters for me. I wanted to say really quickly about this episode that uh, one of the the prides of my home city, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, was a featured zombie in this episode, and that would be Mr. Hines Ward. That's right. Uh, legendary legendary wide receiver uh, of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He could uh, outrun was... a bomb in Dark Knight Rises, but apparently not a zombie in The Walking Dead. 
I guess that makeup's really heavy or something. I don't know. <laughs> Plus, he won at Dancing with the Stars. So he's like the only guy to have those three IMDb credits on one page, I think. But uh, I just wanted to shout him out. Heinz Ward, classy guy, um, Pittsburgh legend, and now zombie. Pretty cool. Russ, I believe uh, our good friend Aaron North from the Out Now with Aaron and Abe podcast sent in his thoughts as well. Why don't you read that email? All righty. Um, so one of the other things to keep in mind is to check out hhwlod.com. Uh, Aaron Newerth, who hosts the Out Now podcast with Aaron and Abe uh, on the HHWLOD podcast network, um, he's he does you know tons of movie reviews. He's also started uh, weekly doing formal reviews of each episode of The Walking Dead that are get, getting posted up on the front page of the website. Uh, so you can check it out here. But he did send us an email for this week's episode. Um, he says, the title already indicated that this wouldn't be a subtle episode, but let me start out by giving an on-air high-five to Johnny M. As he called Lori's death early on, uh, now he's just gunning for that baby. <laughs> wow. Um, so I figure if, you guys if there's already one pointed... thing we know for sure, Johnny M. hates babies. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, unfortunately, it's it's going to be after to be an unanswered high-five because Johnny's not here tonight. So. Yeah, so we can make fun of him and he can't rebut. What is uh, with so that figured... accent? I mean, seriously, <laughs> there's no way that's real. <laughs> Ouch. We love you, John. Not the mullet, but we love you. Oh, call back. Um, all right, so I figure you guys have already pointed out the uh, the good about this episode, as I do find it to be well-acted, tense and exciting, along with shocking to an extent. I was not even bothered by choices made by characters, despite the arrival of a ton of walkers, which went unnoticed until it was too late. Uh, the reason I'm not head over heels in this episode, despite the fact that I don't think it it is a very solid one, is in regards to the two deaths for different reasons. With T-Dog, sure it's sad and he wanted uh, he went out a hero, but other than being around since season one, nothing significant was ever given to us about him, besides some broad strokes and a Dale moment before his end, Yeah, which we kind of talked about, uh, as he argued uh, for keeping the prisoners around. With respect to Irony Singleton, he just leaves the show as that helpful fellow who didn't have the riot shield when he really needed it. Yeah, I think we, we mentioned that as well. Um, this might have bothered me less if we didn't also have Lori's death, which also makes T-Dog's death inconsequential. Now, I am all for shock and surprise, and yes, Season 3 has certainly taken no prisoners, prisoners, in a prison no less, in terms of its attitude, but I feel like we should be easing back on the throttle. I don't need the pace of the series to slow to a crawl, but focusing on the human drama in the face of a zombie apocalypse is what The Walking Dead is about, as opposed to weekly routine of everyone being chased by walkers and suffering some consequences. I'm glad that the show is taking risks, and I'm not sure things will slow down now, so everyone has some time to explore the new group dynamic, but still, let's ease it back. Woodbury stuff was fine, just more of the same, but I'm enjoying what Merle is bringing to the table. Four out of five busters. And he has a few notes here. Note. Anyone who thinks Carol died is silly. Um, note number two, did Carl actually shoot Lori? Just a thought. And note number three, I hope the governor has an English caddy that can say, nice shot, governor. <laughs> oh, please. Um, interesting note by Aaron there, the one about, do you think Carl actually shot Lori? This is not a spoiler. We have no idea. But uh, David G on the Facebook group, put an interesting comment where he says maybe Carl could not shoot his mom and Carol finds her while still running and manages somewhere somehow to save her. I don't expect that to happen, but I think it would be an interesting twist. No, I think it would kind of invalidate the whole emotional impact at the end of the last episode. Man. 
if it turned out L'Oreal wasn't actually dead. I, I just I, I just see it being like a cheat. I yeah, know. I think I don't know. Yeah, I'm with Jim. I think I think that would be like a I think everybody would just have a real big groan moment um if that was the case. I do think he shot her in the head. I think that's that's the place Carl is at. We we've seen it. Um you know, he's become hard edged. He knows what has to be done. Um they made a point again with the flashback, so I don't see I don't see that being the case. Like I said, I don't expect it to happen, but I thought it was an interesting idea. Uh, Russ, I believe we have a voicemail about this week's episode. Why don't you play that for us? Hello, this is Jane Brannon. I'm Jane Brannon on the forum. And I just watched the episode. I have one thing to say. Lori Grimes, mother of the year. Thanks. Look forward to your next episode. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Dean. You got me. You got me, dude. <laughs> Burn, Jim. I have been summarily burned. Short and sweet. And Jim, I think you also have one last email for us this episode. I do. It's from Angel, and uh, she wanted to say about uh, David Morrissey, the guy who's playing the governor, that he betrayed the father of a very dysfunctional family on the short-lived television show Meadowlands, which she really liked. It was uh, basically about a town that was populated by people who were in some sort of witness protection program. Before what she could recall, all the people had shady pasts. It was a great show, but much like Twin Peaks or Dead Like Me, the world was not ready for that type of TV show, even on premium TV. Keep up the good work, Angel. Thank you very much, Angel. So I think that's going to be it for the discussion of the episode. Like I said, we're going to do our outro, bloopers, all that kind of stuff. And then at the very end, we will have a spoiler section where we're going to discuss a little bit uh, about the differences between um, Laurie's death in the TV show and uh, where her character is or has been in the in the comic book. So if you are interested in that, just stick around after the ending. But until next episode, you can check out all of our great shows at hhwlod.com or walkingdeadtv.com. You can also find all of our contact information there, and we'd love to get a voicemail or an email for you because we love our fans. And don't forget to check out the Facebook group as well. And so until there's no more room left in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, RIP T-Dog. Have a good week, everybody. And next week on The Walking Dead, this is mild spoilers only, that is the synopsis, as usual. Uh, the episode 305 is titled Say the Word, and the synopsis we have is After another loss, Rick struggles. Michonne remains suspicious of the governor as he throws a party with a unique twist for the people of Woodbury. So that should be interesting. All right, on to the end. Have a good week, everybody. So long. Mother, there is no other like mother, so treat her right. Welcome, everybody, to episode 75 of the Walking Dead TV podcast, where we'll be discussing episode three or four. Ugh. Rough start. Three or four? Yeah, three or four. <laughs> Pick. <laughs> you. It's choose your own podcast. <laughs> if you think Russ should lead the show, jump ahead to 3203. If you think Jim should lead the show, jump to 1972. Wait, that should be me since that was the year I was born. So I was it really? I, I was I was choosing timestamps, not years, but whatever. <laughs> so this has become a choose your own adventure podcast. Choose your own adventure podcast. We're gonna make billions of nothing. Russ, I believe we have a voicemail about this week's episode. Why don't you play that for us? We do, and like a moron, I dismantled my tablet. So you dismantled it. 
Well, not dismantling. I pulled. I took it all apart. I unscrewed it, took the screen off. I just wanted to see how the thing takes. How bored were you this episode? Mother, can you keep them in the dark for life? Can you hide them from the waiting world? Alrighty, so spoiler warning again. We're going to try to keep things limited to a, a, a smaller scope involving Lori and a few things coming up with uh, with the prison. But, um, so spoiler alert, this is your last chance. There's nothing in this episode after this, just spoilers. So if you don't want to hear them, turn it off now. But for those of you who are going to stick around, uh, Lori's death in the comics versus Lori's death in the show, uh, quite different. Uh, we also had an interesting note Russ wanted to talk about about how things are a little less even uh, in terms of the prison population in the show than they were in the comics. So, uh, Russ, why don't you raise point one? Yeah, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and I almost blew this a couple times in the in the regular show, and then I was like, I had to really work hard to catch myself because I don't want to spoil it for anybody that is either in the middle of reading the comics, wants to read the comics, or you know just, just doesn't want to be spoiled in case one day they may want to read the comics. Um, and I won't go into the specifics of exactly how Lori dies, but in the comic, um, Lori's death is pretty sudden, um, unexpected, tragic, and it wasn't just her. It was her and the baby um, both died at the same time in a very violent fashion. Um, and that was the first time. It's funny because the reaction I had when I read that in the comic and I'll be curious what your guys' reaction was at when you read that sequence. But it wasn't... I didn't have an emotional reaction. I, I had a, oh my God, I can't believe they did this in a comic book. I can't believe they went there. That was like... The, the shock of them going to that point um, just overwhelmed me from a, from a... I've never seen that in a comic before. Um, I've never seen anything like that happen. Um and and so that's the reaction I had with the comic. And then you look at what happened in the show, and the way they handle her death in the show is maybe you had a more time to... It didn't happen suddenly. I mean, you had more time to kind of understand what was going on, what the consequence uh, was. You had an actor, you know, multiple actors' performances that were kind of in it. There was a lot of sacrifice to it. Um, and... I really appreciate in the TV show the way that was handled. Um, and I think that's the way that things can work differently and better in in the TV medium than they do in the comic. In the comic, you can kind of pull off that shock thing. Um, in, in the TV show, I think it would have just been so violent, so sudden, that you wouldn't really have time to process it. Um, and... It's you know again we've seen it with other things that have happened in 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 the show where they may end up at the same point in the end but the journey on how they got there is very different and um, it it just really impressed me that they that Kirkman decided to take this approach and to really kind of um, you know punch the the viewer in the in the heart um, while watching this death sequence take place in in the in the show and it just it's so different. Than what happens in the comic that it just really it, it really stuck me stuck with me and yet it's it's brutal and it's shocking uh almost as much so as in the comic in its own way 
in the show. You know what I mean? It's a different yeah. way. Yeah. It's a different way and a different occurrence, you know, of how it, how it goes down. But I mean, you know, gutting Lori like that on the cement floor to get, you know, to pry her baby out of her stomach at wheel with no anesthetic and, and, you know, while she's bleeding out, you know, and hemorrhaging and dying, that's pretty shocking too. It's just shocking and brutal in a totally different way. And, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, where the storyline is going to go now that it's diverged in, in yet another way from, from the canon of the comic. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely an interesting twist in that. I mean, I've seen a lot of people online on our, you know, Facebook group and other places as well, but saying, oh, it was so much more, uh, brutal or shocking in the comic. And I, I, in, while in some ways that's true, this was just brutal in a different way. I mean, in the comic, it's a very violent death. In the show, as, as we've all seen now, it's, I mean, it, it's not a pleasant death, but it's a somewhat complicit death. It's a somewhat um, a sacrificial death. I mean, she understands what she's getting into. And like you said, Russ, this is that emotional response as opposed to the shocking. Very different deaths. But I don't know that I would say one was better or worse. They're just very different. Well, the tragedy of the death in the comic is that not only the mother, but the child dies. Right, right. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, as opposed to here where there's like a a glimmer of hope that this child could live, you know. Which would make the show very different than the comic was. Exactly. Um, Our our other big point that Russ wanted to talk about, um, I, I guess I'll set this one up, is the prison population in the show is how many people now? About seven, eight maybe? Very small. In the comics, I want to say it was at least twice that around this point. And what, yeah, I, wh- why that becomes important is, you know, like, like we've already said, I mean, it's it's obligatory, it's inevitable that at some point the governor and Woodbury will uh, interact with Rick and his group. In the comics, those numbers are a little bit more even. In the show, at least as of this point, they are very uneven odds, very uneven numbers, um... It'll be interesting to see how that plays out, whether it'll be similar, completely different, or whether there'll be an influx of new characters over the next few weeks. I, I am, I'm definitely interested to see how they play the differences in the numbers to their advantage. Yeah, it makes me think that, um, you know, here we are in season three. The stuff that we're talking about in the in the comics happens, um, like, ostensibly what would be, like, the end of season eight. Um uh, to some degree, for some aspects of it, and other things, it would be, um, you know, kind of, you know, the third trade. You know, these events that are happening now. Let me put it this way: happen between trades three and eight of the comics, um, which you know, basically between issues um, eighteen and forty-eight. So it's a pretty wide spread, um, and we see how things are are panning out. But it makes me feel that uh, I think the governor is going to be a longer lasting character i don't think he's going to be um somebody that's and this is pure speculation at this point but i don't think he's going to be somebody that we're just going to see in season three and then the threat is going to be dispatched and we'll move on to something else in season four i fully expect that the governor is going to last um seasons three and four and again i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that rick's group is much smaller than it is in the comic and as far as a balancing force goes um one greatly outnumbers the other, um, and and I think it's very interesting. I mean, I mean, we've talked about this before. The set of the prison in the in the show 
is much smaller than what they used in, in the comic. When they were in that cell block, it was what you would typically think of as a cell block, you know, like an Alcatraz or, you know, like a large prison where, you know, there's a big row of cells and, you know, you, you could have a conversation on one end and the other end, you know, the other, other side not, not see you. And I just find it very interesting that this things are, are more close-knit, more claustrophobic, and the cast is much smaller um, on Rick's side. So the, the inevitable confrontation to me, is going to be extremely interesting uh, to see how that plays out. Um, I think so I'd I also don't... like to see him last more than one season, but it is, yeah. I mean, it, we do have 12 episodes left this season, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, I mean, a lot can change in that amount of time. We might be singing a different tune by then in terms of what we want to happen. Who knows? True. It's very true. Um, and also, you know, I, I think I might have briefly mentioned it during the episode proper, but... I think we could have another time jump between episode six and episode seven. I, I have no inside information. I'm just speculating, but uh, we could come back and there could be more characters on Rick's side. Could be, could, could very well be maybe because of Chandler Rid- Riggs's age that there's going to come a point in the you know show where it's going to be like the Walt on Lost syndrome, right? I mean, the kid's going to grow like a foot in the off season and, you know, ha- have to start shaving. So at some point they're probably going to have to jump a little bit just to, um, you know, just to address that fact, but uh, but yeah, I just I just thought it was it was noteworthy for us with this episode to kind of discuss, especially the Lori thing, uh, in a little more detail, and for me to kind of get it off my chest, I guess. Um, and we definitely didn't want to spoil it for for everyone. I know when when Shane died in the show, we kind of let the cat out of the bag. Um, in the in the regular episode you know, when and how it happened in the comic, um, you know, without John and, and Brad being here and just kind of it being somewhat spontaneous. And it, this is a pretty big thing that we've disclosed here in the spoiler area. So I, I just felt it best that um, it kind of go at the end separated. So if somebody doesn't want to hear it, they, they don't have to hear it. So Right. And again, we're still being pretty vague because even though, yes, Lori is dead in the comics and she does die in the prison, um, how that happens is still pretty integral to the overall prison story. And it could happen to a different character. It could happen um, in a different way to, you know, in in some way. But a lot of the stuff that we're skirting around is still very integral to this season. So, again, we're we're keeping it vague. Um, We hope if you did listen and you were kind of iffy on spoilers, we didn't give away too much. But um, thank you for sticking along with us. And uh, have a good week. Thanks. Good night.